Well, there's something I want to do before I get into today's message. I want to acknowledge that this coming Tuesday, 247 years ago, the founders of this nation declared their independence from Great Britain and gave birth to what is unquestionably the greatest nation uh, that's ever been birthed uh, in the history of man. And we're very grateful and very thankful for this country. So thankful for the opportunity to be alive and to be a part of what's going on. Uh, involved in the series we're teaching now, uh, the book of Second Peter, last words for the last days. We're going to be saying more about that, uh, especially next week. But uh, about the last days, but uh, we understand that there are things in our nation that are actually in decline. There are places that are worse now than they would have been 10 years ago or 20 years ago. We understand all that. But in spite of that, we have the greatest place to live of any nation on the earth. And we're instructed in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, that we are to pray for all those in authority. That we are to uh, go before God and bring them before the Lord. It's not a matter of who you voted for or who you like or don't like, who you agree with or disagree with. We're just told to pray. When Paul gave that instruction, uh, most likely when he gave the instruction, probably Nero was on the throne in Rome. He was one of the awfulest uh, Caesars that Rome ever had. He was totally ungodly. Nero was responsible for the execution of the Apostle Peter. He was responsible for the execution of, of the Apostle Paul. He was no friend to Christianity. And um, yet Paul said, we need to pray for these people. So today I want to encourage you to pray. We need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for all those in authority, whether they are local, state, federal, whether they are in authority in a military position or a civilian position, whether they have authority through being appointed or authority because of them being elected. We need to pray. And uh, the church would be the only entity in the country that has that spiritual mandate and that spiritual uh, access to change things from that dimension. And so you and I, need to accept our place. I, I hear a, a buzzing here. We got some ringing. Maybe I don't know if the monitors need to be off or what it is, but take them out and amen. Praise the Lord. But what I want to do before getting today's message is take a moment to talk about our spiritual declaration of independence, which is our freedom from Satan, our freedom from the kingdom of darkness, uh, the ability that God has given to us to arise from the old life and from being the old person we used to be to come to a place where we are one with Christ and we've made the righteousness of God. The word gospel, uh, the, the uh, transliterated word over into English from Greek, uh, we have the word evangel. And actually gospel, evangel, means simply a message. It is an announcement. It is uh, a proclamation of a message. Uh, the whole simple, I mean, the simple aspect of, of uh, the gospel is actually the message itself. Now, we know from Romans 1.16 that the gospel is the power of God 
unto salvation. And that means that the message contains the power of the event that it talks about. So when we preach the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, when we preach Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, that message contains the same power that brought the event about. And so every succeeding generation has the privilege of having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ by hearing the evangel, by hearing the gospel, by hearing the announcement, the proclamation of the gospel. And the gospel is not a message of what you need to do. It's a message of what God has already done. That's the simple gospel. The gospel isn't a list of requirements for us to live up to. It's not a list of laws to live by. The gospel simply is an account of what Jesus in our place and on our behalf has already done for us. It's our response to the gospel that will determine whether or not we receive from the Lord. Salvation that's presented in the gospel message is not something we earn, but it is simply received by grace through faith, Ephesians chapter 2. We know from Romans chapter 10, we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth. And so by grace, that's God's part. Through faith, he even gives you the faith. He gives the word that produces the faith. So simply being born again means I respond by believing God And I believe, as Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth. That's not earning my salvation. That's not working for my salvation. That's not deserving my salvation. That is simply receiving. You know, if I had a plate here and it had a good, thick filet mignon and a marvelous, wonderfully baked potato that was stuffed with cheese and butter and sour cream and bacon bits and little green onions and I had broccoli and cauliflower and carrots on the side and then I had a big old piece of cheesecake. Man, all right, that's right. It sounds really good. And I offered it to you. What would you have to, and I said, here, I, I, I did this just for you. I want you to take it. What would you have to do? All you'd have to do is take it and say, well, that's all we're doing. And so what I want to do today before we (laughs) preach is to say, this is the believer's declaration of independence, that Jesus became what we were so we can be what he is. He took our place and paid the price we could not pay. I owed a debt I couldn't pay, and he paid a debt that he didn't owe, and he did it for me. He did it for you. So faith believes then faith speaks. And it's faith's confessions that bring gospel realities into our lives. So I want to ask you right now, if you've never done that, would you do that now? Is there anybody in this room you say, that's what I want. I need Jesus and I want him now. Or maybe you're watching online and you want to receive the Lord Jesus. You've never done that. Then I want you to pray. And just simply, and you don't have to be a prayer expert. I mean, nobody's a prayer expert when they're not even saved. Actually, I don't think any of us are prayer experts anyway. We're we're working on it. But what I want you to do is say this with me. And all of you, would you just close your eyes before God? Just kind of shut yourself in with him and say this with me. Say, Father God, I come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. 
I repent of all my sins. I want to turn from that life. I want to be made a child of God, a new creature, the righteousness of God in Christ. So in the name of Jesus, I ask you, come into my life. I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I'll serve you all the days of my life. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Now, I want everybody that is saved, let's put our hands up and thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for salvation. We are truly free. We are independent from the kingdom of darkness. Satan is no longer our God. He's no longer our father. We are children. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. We belong to the family of God. Thank you, Lord. I will serve you all the days of my life. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time, or you're coming back to God, maybe you've gotten away from the things of God, then please let us know. Let me know. Let somebody up front here know when this service is over, or if you're online, then please contact us. We'd like to help you. We'd like to pray with you further. We'd like to give you more information, and we want to help you succeed as a Christian. Amen. All right. Let's open our Bibles this morning to the book of 2 Peter. And of course, we have been in this book for a while. We took a little break last week and taught about covenant, and uh, we enjoyed that. And of course, we enjoyed last Sunday all the good food. Wasn't that great? All that one. And I tell you, I don't think I've ever seen so many desserts in one spot, so many different ones. I know you, uh, you took a picture of it. Uh, Rebecca took a picture. It was wonderful, and it was so good. I, I couldn't uh, try everything, but... Uh, what we did do was good. Amen. And so uh, we're very grateful and thankful. We had a wonderful time. And we miss all those who aren't here today. You know, uh, uh, Matt mentioned uh, Glenna's gone today. Uh, we just, we have people here and there in different places. But um, vacation time, we'll get through it and get back. Thanks for everybody who's doing double duty, everybody who's jumping to a different job than you normally would do. We appreciate you so much. Amen. Well, in our prior studies of 2 Peter, we have learned, of course, that this is the last recorded words of this great apostle. And we understand that Peter was not the intellectual powerhouse that the apostle Paul was, but nonetheless, he experienced some of the most supernatural events and witnessed some of the most supernatural events that are recorded in the New Testament to think somehow that because he wasn't as educated as Paul or as intellectual as Paul, that that kind of makes his writings second tier, that would be a mistake. Actually, he himself said that um, men of old wrote as they were moved upon by the Holy Spirit, but it was Paul who said that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect or complete or mature and uh, thoroughly and well-equipped for every good work. Now, the fact is, this is as much Scripture as John 3.16. It's as much inspired as Philippians 4.13 or Philippians 4.19 or 2 Corinthians 5.17 and 21 
or any other of your favorite scriptures. It's just as much the Word of God. However, when you think about refrigerator scriptures, you know what I mean by that? Those ones that you stick on the refrigerator to remind you of? Usually you're not getting those from 2 Peter. So it's important that we find out why he said what he said and what was going on. Well, first of all, he's getting ready to die. He knows his time is short. The Lord had showed him. We've, we've covered this already. And that information is available if you want to listen to it. It's free of charge. You can go online and get that. But he knows that his time is short. So he's giving this last letter to believers in order to give them some information that he is certain they need to have. And so in the first chapter... Uh, we co he covered a lot of things. He just kind of went from here to there to there to the other, next place. And, and we took three Sundays just in chapter 1. Today we're going to move on to chapter 2. And then hopefully next week we'll get to chapter 3. But uh, in these chapters, chapters 2 and 3, Peter begins to deal with some serious issues or problems that can happen within the church, and then particularly in chapter 3, dealing with problems that occur from those outside the church. He's preparing those that he's ministering to, those he's writing to, and through the Holy Spirit's inspiration, he's preparing us how to live in these kind of situations. You know, as I said, he was in Rome, and these are the days of Nero, who was no friend to Christianity. He lived in a world that was even more anti-Christian than the world we have today. Uh, he, he lived in a time when uh, you didn't have any kind of media as far as electronic media. There were no printing presses. Uh, it would look like very, very limited ability to spread and share the gospel of Jesus. But yet the writings of these early church fathers have survived for 2,000 years and are giving us instruction today because they're the word from God. So what we're going to do is we're going to read the entire chapter of 2 Peter. Now that's going to take us a few minutes, uh, you know, maybe not as long as you might think, but there are 22 verses. And so we're going to read the entire chapter and then we're going to start back at the beginning and walk through. And don't get nervous. If we don't get done today, I know when to quit. It's when the Lord wants us to quit. Amen. <laughs> so hang with me and let's look. Whatever translation you have, read with me, please. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, 
vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and they utterly perish in their own corruption, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are, <coughs> excuse me, and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumb ass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escape from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought in bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them, according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. You understand why we said there's no refrigerator verses in this passage? I have labored, I have... Um, I don't know if struggle might be this too strong a word, but it hasn't been easy to uh, deal with this subject matter. I know the Lord led me to begin the series from Second Peter and to walk through the book, last words for the last days. I knew that there was information that needed to be uh, brought to the body of Christ here locally and to whomever might hear, but Honestly, this, this particular chapter, to me, is the toughest. Because here Peter deals with problems that arise within the church. He deals with particularly false teachers. 
Now, those who are Bible readers and Bible students, you know that Paul does this as well when he writes to Timothy. And so does Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, who wrote the little one-chapter epistle of Jude. As a matter of fact, if you read the book of Jude, and I would, that's your homework assignment between now and next week, read the book of Jude, because you're going to see so many similarities. This seems to be a part of the uh, message for the last days that we really don't enjoy dealing with. Because there's some pretty tough stuff that's said in here. I, I, to, and to my mind, one of the most scary verses, if you could use that term, or passages in all of the New Testament is in this chapter. When it says in verse 20, if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, meaning they know the Lord, they have been saved. They are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. And to emphasize how bad it's going to be for someone in that condition, he says, for it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. Now, I don't believe that you're going to hell every time you look crossways at your wife. Or some of us would have already been there. <laughs> I don't believe salvation is as fragile as some people seem to think, even the group that I grew up around. A lot of people didn't know if they were going to make it to heaven or not. As a matter of fact, that was a common prayer request. Pray for me that I'll hold out true and faithful to the end. But I also cannot read a passage like this and think that it doesn't matter how we live and it doesn't matter what we do, that everything's going to work out in the end anyway. After all, God's a God of grace. It's always dangerous to only see one aspect of God's nature. And most of us have a tendency to, to have our favorite scriptures, our favorite verses, our favorite passages, our favorite subjects, and even our favorite way of viewing God. But spiritual maturity requires that we look at all the different aspects so we have a true, full picture of what it means to serve God all our life and then to make it to heaven when this is over. Because I can tell you that your eternal destiny is far more important than what school you're going to go to, what job you're going to get, or how much money you're going to make next year, or even who you're going to marry, or where, what neighborhood you live in. None of that is going to be as important as when you stand before the Lord that you hear Him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. God's not going to start lying that day. God's not the God like the little league parent that stands in the stands and says, good job, good job, even though they're lousy. <laughs> no, God is honest. He's not brutal. He's not mean, but he's honest. And so we need to be honest with ourselves, and we certainly need to be honest with the Word of God. Peter refers to what he calls damnable heresies. Now, that's tough words. So obviously, you know, tell us, Peter, how do you really feel about those things? Now, he's letting us know that there are things that can get into the body of believers, a local body of believers, that can get in there that actually will cause people to be damned. 
that can actually lead people astray to the point where they are not going to make it. Even to the point of denying the Lord, he says, that bought them. And we're living in a day, in 2023, we're living in a day where this is happening. I don't know how much you keep up with what's going on in the church world at large. Uh, if you're not in ministry, maybe you don't pay a whole lot of attention to it. And that's understandable. But I can tell you that there are churches and organizations that once were rock solid on the Word of God that today don't know if they believe the Bible anymore. There are churches that for decades stood for the truths of the New Testament and stood for uh, basic biblical Judeo-Christian belief systems such as the sanctity of marriage that no longer really think that's so important. And moving on beyond that to all of the thing of, you know, uh, men marrying men, women marrying women, all the um, LGBTQ, XYWZ, whatever's, you know, in vogue today, m moving on trying to determine what they believe about it. And to do, uh, to, to question the Word of God is to question the integrity of God. You know, you cannot come to me and tell me, well, Pastor, I believe you're an honest guy, but I don't think you told the truth over there. You know, that's, that's, that doesn't make sense. But yet people do this with God all the time. They are saying to God, you're God and you're a good God and you're a God of love, but you know, you just didn't tell us the truth about all this. And then you have this whole thing that's been going on now for uh, the last couple of decades, I guess, where you've got this entire thing, and, 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 and these are not, some of you probably thinking that we're just talking about some dead mainline type organization that's been dead for the last 50 years. No, we're talking even about some so-called churches that believe in the new birth, and even we're talking about charismatic type churches, churches believing in the mood of the Spirit that are now dealing like that there's something to deal with in these issues. You know, some things are either right or they're wrong. And there's no middle ground. And uh, I know that you know this, but you and I don't have a right to decide what's right and wrong. We have the responsibility to respond to the one who's already made that decision. And of course, the world looks at us and says, well, that's the problem with you judgmental Christians. You holier-than-thou people. Uh, you are not supposed to judge me. Well, the answer to that is, I don't judge you. Jesus himself said, I don't judge you. There is one who does, though, and that's the Father. When I declare what the Word says is wrong, when I declare what the Word says is right, that's not my opinion. I am a messenger boy sent by the one who said that. If you have a problem with that, you have to go back to the source. If you have a problem with the New Testament, then you have a problem with God. Amen. And in the last, as I say, the last probably 20 years or so, we have this phenomenon, even in the church world, where people say, well, you know, um, Jesus didn't say anything about that. So uh, 
though Paul did, or though the Apostle Peter did, uh, I'm just going to side with Jesus. Like we can decide which part of the word we want to take. Peter himself, in this very book, in chapter 3, we haven't got there yet, we won't today, but he talks about Paul's writing, and he says some of the things Paul writes are hard to understand. He said, and some people take those uh, as they do the other scriptures and rest them or turn them and to their own destruction. Peter called Paul's writings scriptures. So nowhere is Peter and Paul contradicting Jesus. Somebody said, well, you know, Jesus didn't refer to same-sex marriage. No, Jesus also didn't refer to beating your wife. Jesus didn't refer to child pornography. So are we going to say those things are okay? No. You see, what Peter points out in this passage is when people become a slave to whatever has overcome them, be it a spirit or a combination of spiritual and natural human lusts, when people become a slave to something ungodly, they are controlled by it. And what we see in a passage like this, and, and chapter 3, 2 will, will help confirm it, is that people actually become blinded. And, and they're not, as we would say, they're not thinking straight. They're not thinking right. And to add insult to injury are all these weak-kneed, compromising preachers that won't speak the truth about these issues because they're afraid that some people might not show up next week and bring their offerings. That's an abomination. I'm not telling you I'm perfect. I'm not. I'm not telling you that I want people to leave the church. I don't. But I know this. Anything you or anyone compromises to keep. And I mean compromise in a wrong way. I'm not talking about compromising today after church whether we go to a steakhouse or we go eat chicken. Take the steak, by the way. But anyway, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not talking about that kind of compromise. I'm talking about when you compromise truth and you compromise the principles of right and wrong to try to keep something, to try to keep people or keep money or keep prestige or whatever. Whatever you compromise to keep, you will lose eventually you're going to lose. I've been pastoring many years and I've seen it again and again when, when people in a married situation, they tend to start compromising because they've got a spouse that's not on fire for God, doesn't want to serve the Lord, and they begin to compromise with that person, uh, you know, and they themselves become unfaithful and they become disconnected. Uh, many, many times, if that goes on to the furthest end of what that'll be, they're going to lose that person anyway. Because there's something wrong in their heart. Something wrong with their heart. Amen. I hear those old rusty gears they're turning. Put some oil on them. He said that these false doctrines begin in private. You know, most people that are, uh, that are headed into um, heresy, that are headed into false and bad doctrine, they usually don't wear a badge that says, I am a heretic. They don't have a, a, a 
thing, a tag on the back of their coat that says, don't listen to me, I'm telling you a lie. That's not how it works at all. It comes in really subtly. It comes in small. And people that, for whatever reason, they are not just as sensitive at that point in time as they ought to be. Maybe they're a babe in Christ, or maybe there's other things going on in their life. They're not taking the time spiritually they need to take. Or maybe they're not well connected to a good Bible-believing church family anyway. And so they are easily swayed. They get carried away with these things. And they don't really notice what's happening at the first. And then cultural and social pressure to compromise it just begins to grow. The more you yield to it, the more you'll have to yield to it. Amen. I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but statements I made just a while ago in this message. If I were in the country of Canada, those statements would be illegal to make. I don't think a lot of American Christians know how close we are to losing some of the most valuable benefits of liberty that we have enjoyed. I think that, that we need to shout loud and long the truth, not to spite people and not to be mean to anybody, but truth. You know, I've got seven grandkids, and if I saw any one of them about to step out into the street in front of a car that's sailing by at some high speed, I would do whatever it took to get them out of there. If I had to yell at them, if I had to reach them and physically grab them and pull them out of the way, let's say that it pulled their arm out of place or something, it's still better than standing there and watching them get killed. You see, and what we have to do as a church sometimes, and I don't mean every service, I prefer services like last week. I prefer the shouting services. I like the refrigerator scriptures. They're much easier to preach from. But there are times when you've got to reach out and take hold of someone, so to speak, spiritually and intellectually, and you've got to tell them, this is going to kill you. This is going to destroy your life. There's no good end to this road that you're traveling down. Now, a lot of people say, well, you know, God is love. Well, that's what love does. Love tells people the truth. Love does what's best for people. And so the pressure to compromise is already here. And when I say here, I don't mean necessarily in this room, but I mean in the culture we live in. The pressure not to even talk about these things, it's already among us. It's important, though, that we speak the truth and that we live what we preach, especially in front of our children. We're at a time in America where we're seeing many of our greatest institutions in decline. The only hope is a great awakening. The only hope is a great revival. That's the only hope. There is no political answer that's going to solve all these problems. There's no financial situation that's going to solve all these problems. It's going to take a supernatural move of the Holy Spirit. We believe we have a right to pray for that 
and we believe that we're going to see a mighty move of the Spirit of God. But at the same time, you have to understand that, that the day of Pentecost was a mighty move of the Spirit. After that, when Peter preached and, and 5,000 more people were, were saved, that's a great move of the Spirit. The Apostle Paul had great revivals everywhere he went. But not everybody, even in the first century days of the church, with all that was going on, not everybody in the whole world got saved. Not everybody served the Lord. Not everybody loved the Lord. As we're seeing in this very book, Peter's getting ready to lay his life down for Jesus as a martyr. So the idea even that revival is going to touch every single person, well, there's been no revival in history that did that. Now, I'm not trying to pour water on your parade or anything, rain on your parade or anything. Because we can see the mightiest move of God that we've ever seen in our generation. And I believe we will. I know here in this church, we're seeing the greatest move of God we have ever seen in all the years we've been here. And the best is yet to come. So I'm not peddling bad news about the church. But I'm saying we need to be aware that as the church rises in anointing level and revelation level and in the power of God, you have to know that the other scriptures in the New Testament dealing with the world make very clear that as the church is going this way, the world's going that way. And the more we go that way, the more they go that way, the further apart we are. And the further apart we are, the stranger you seem to be, and I seem to be, to the world. The more unfriendly they are to us, the more um, intolerant they are of us. It's amazing how the folks that cry tolerance the most seem to be the most intolerant, isn't it? Well, I just want you to know that these things aren't new. The first century church, what we call the early church, the book of Acts church, which is approximately the first 30 years or so of the Christian era, they were facing some of the same things. The same kinds of sexual sin, the same kinds of, of immorality, the same kinds of greed and covetousness, the same kind of, of human ego on display. This stuff isn't new. Amen. Satan isn't creative. Every generation where he can... He just rehashes the same old mess. Which means that even in the area of false doctrines creeping into the church world, these aren't new revelations. When somebody comes along with some spurious sounding teaching telling you that this is something he just got from God, if it's not scriptural, he didn't just get it from God. He got it from the devil and it's just a rehash of something the devil told somebody else in a prior generation. When you live long enough, you know, there are a lot of benefits of getting older. We will not talk about the negatives. But there are some benefits of getting older. One of the things is the perspective on life. And that perspective says, these things aren't new. These things aren't new. They get rehashed. They get relabeled. They get renamed over and over and over again. People go to seed on stuff. They, go, they, you know, they get off into uh, extremes. It's the hardest thing in the world to keep the church in the center of the road. 
the hardest thing in the world. You know, Peter here talks, I'm sure he could have talked about a number of things, but the Holy Spirit led him to emphasize two particular areas. And now I'm, I'm taking all the verses we read and I'm trying to condense them, and I think you can see what I'm saying. Two of the main things he talked about was greed and covetousness and making merchandise of the people of God. And number two, sexual sin and immorality. And when you think about where we are today as a church, I'm talking about as a whole, it's the same thing Peter was talking about 2,000 years ago. Why? Because human nature doesn't change. And two, the devil doesn't change. So, he says that uh, many will follow their pernicious ways. And because of that, the way of truth will be evil spoken of. In other words, it brings damage to the reputation of the church. And it's, it's, it's tough to minister when the only thing the world wants to talk about is the latest preacher scandal or the latest church scandal or the latest church split and division. And the devil loves to magnify this. One of the big differences, there are two major differences in now and 2,000 years ago. One is the media that is available to us. So we have this stuff all over the place. Number two is the increase of population makes it seem that this is more of a problem. Well, it is in the sense of volume, but it's the same stuff. It's the same stuff doing the same things to people. So covetousness and deception are used to make merchandise of Christians. The word for covetousness here has to do with fraud and extortion. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in meetings where people were, basic, ba were uh, bordering on extortion for their offerings and so forth and so on, but it's not a comfortable place to be. Prosperity is biblical. One of the first things that's ever recorded in Scripture in, in the 13th chapter of Genesis that God did with Abraham was to make him very rich in cattle, silver, and gold. Prosperity is biblical. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Beloved, I pray above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. Prosperity is biblical, but greed and covetousness are not. Covetousness is wanting what somebody else has. We live today in a covetous society. If you have done well with your life, if you've been a good steward, as Matt was talking about during the offering, in your life, and you've put away some money, you've saved some money, you've been a, a good steward, you've worked hard, there are people actually today that want to punish you for that, and they think what's yours should be theirs. That would be the epistle according to Bernie Sanders, I guess. You see, this isn't new. Covetousness, fraud and extortion, greed is the root. You know, 1 Timothy 6.10 says that the love of money is the root of all evil. 
So the line is really clear, and here I want to give this to you. Greed is an insatiable appetite, an insatiable lust to have more for me. Godly prosperity brings me blessing, but more than that, it allows me to be a blessing. One of the ways you can know if you're a greedy person is if you always struggle with giving. If you don't want to give or you don't give. If all you have is yours, then God doesn't have it. And the part that God doesn't have is the part he can't bless. So if you have something that you're holding on to and God can't touch it, I hope that works out because you're not going to have the blessing of God on that which he cannot touch. And all this stuff of my money's tied up, it just takes one funeral to untie it. Amen. He says that these kinds of teachers will rise up within the church and they will with feigned words. That's old English. That means fabricated stories. False words. And let me say to you, church, today, beware of those who constantly try to impress us with their so-called spiritual exploits and spirituality. You know, just like the, the uh, church world has kind of gone to seed with the hyper-grace teaching. There also is a part of the church world that's kind of gone to seed with what they call the prophetic. Sometimes the prophetic is really pathetic. You say, what makes the difference? If it's God or not. If it's true. If it comes to pass. If the people are humble enough that if they, if they do miss it and people can miss it, that they will admit it. Amen. I'm not a fan of, of uh, situations where people have to perform. One of my primary mentors in the gospel, Brother Kenneth E. Hagan, he warned ministers decades ago against performance, about trying to make things happen in their meetings, trying to drum up words of knowledge and words of wisdom and prophecies and so forth. Because what happens is, and a lot of people, they, they probably must not know this, but if you persist in that kind of fraudulent activity where ministry is concerned, you will open yourself up to evil spirits. You'll open yourself up to familiar spirits. And yes, you may know some things, but the source of your knowledge is not God. The God of this world knows some things too. That's why sometimes mediums get it right, and that's why sometimes fortune tellers get it right, because they're listening to familiar spirits, evil spirits that are familiar with humans, that know something about them, and communicate that through mediums. That doesn't happen every day to everybody, and I'm not saying everybody who prophesies that way. We believe in the, in the gift of prophecy. We believe in prophetic utterances. They occur in this place, but I can tell you this, we are not on a performance. And I don't come here every week thinking, well, we need to prophesy today. Uh, there's got to be a word for today. Let me think of something. That's wrong. You say, well, everybody doesn't do that. No, everybody doesn't. But the ones who do really make it look bad on the rest of us. They really do. They cause the way 
as Peter said here, the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. We have to be careful. And let me, let me just go ahead and kind of sweep the floor a little further here. Uh, don't get caught up in trivial stuff that makes no difference. You know, somebody comes out with this thing where we, you know, we found such and such and it proves that some passage in Scripture is true. Well, that's all good. But didn't you believe it before they found that rock or whatever it was? Didn't you believe the Bible before somebody had their, quote, vision? We really need to be careful. Well, it's getting quiet in this Presbyterian church this morning. Many of these things run in cycles, and new audiences get caught up with each passing wave. You know, if, if somehow I could have gotten out this a major media blast that today I was going to stand up and I was going to reveal who I knew to be the Antichrist and that he's over here in Amherst <laughs> sitting on the porch chewing tobacco right now waiting on his moment. <laughs> there might be some people that say, I want to know about who is that guy? What does it matter? There's a whole lot of stuff people get caught up about. And what does it matter? Is your faith working? Are you healed? Do you have more than enough and you're able to give and be a blessing? Is your house in order? Does your wife love you? Does your husband love you? Got to kid everybody in on that one. You know what I'm saying? Don't get caught up in this trivial stuff. Amen. Amen. In the next section of this chapter, I just have about another two hours to go here. In the next section of this chapter, Peter refers to past examples of civilizations and cultures that went into decline and came to an end. It's almost like Peter was living in 2023. He begins with the fallen angels. He begins with Satan's, Lucifer's rebellion. He moves to the flood of Noah's day. And if you read Genesis 8, you'll find that the imagination of men was only evil continually. Sounds like the internet in a lot of places. Then he refers to Sodom and Gomorrah, and I don't need to be graphic about what that's all about. We know. And, and I must say this, God has not changed his mind about any of these things. His attitude toward it is exactly what it's always been. And so we note that not only covetousness and greed but sexual perversion are sins that are common to the end of a civilization and I don't know exactly what they're teaching in schools nowadays but I can tell you this true and accurate history tells this story there's never been a nation a culture a civilization that has ever embraced the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah 
and survived. Never. And this one won't either. If the pathways continued on. So what we're doing is, in the words of Jude, remember your homework for this week. One chapter, you'll get this one. You can get it. It's easy. But in his words, what we're doing in these last days is snatching people out of the fire. That's what we're doing. And it'll take a great move of the Spirit of God. It'll take a great spirit of revival and joy to do that. But that's what we're doing. There's nearly 8 billion people alive on the planet and not even, not even half of them even know who Jesus is. Most of the 8 billion people alive on planet Earth today are lost and on their way to hell. Our job is bigger than it's ever been. God knew you and I would be living in this generation. He evidently has more confidence in us than we have in ourselves. We have the tools. We have the resources. We have the power and we have been given authority. We just need to do it. Start where you are. You may have family members, you may have friends, co-workers, school chums, neighbors, people you grew up with, people that you know, and either you know they're not saved, you know they're not living right, or you're not sure about. It's time to do something about that. You say, well, isn't Jesus coming? That's all the more reason to do something about it. He is coming. Amen. You see, false doctrines accommodate these sins. And we're seeing it unfold before our very eyes. When religion begins to accommodate and appeal to the carnal nature of people, the church loses much of its ability to influence and affect the culture for good and to hold back the tide of evil. And church leaders... And I would say especially pastors are responsible to teach sound doctrine and expose error. If a pastor never says anything crosswise of the world, then he should not be your pastor. If you're in a church where you're never challenged, you're never corrected, and if necessary, you're never rebuked, you're in the wrong church. You're just not where you need to be. Now the stories that Peter shared and reminded these believers about from the Old Testament times have one thing that's really comforting. And that is the righteous were protected and delivered. And that's what I want to leave you with today. I know I've said a lot of heavy duty stuff. And nobody, not one of you, has ran around the building yet. Is that what you guys are getting ready to do? <laughs> I know this is kind of heavy stuff, and we don't preach this particular subject all the time. You know, you know that if you come here all the time. But I want you to know that God has a plan of deliverance for us. And... You don't have anything to fear from the devil. The closest thing to fear that I would say, and, I, and I'm not advocating that 
you get into fear. But I would say the closest thing to it would be your concern for the people that don't know Jesus. We're not living in fear, but we are concerned for those especially that we know and that we love and we're connected to. Are they really ready to meet the Lord? Because we're living in a day that Peter prophesied would come here where people can just about find a church to tell them anything they want to hear. They can live any way they want to live, do anything they want to do, and they're accepted. Well, we appreciate the sentiment of being nice, but when you deceived people, when you deceive people with your, quote, acceptance to make them think that their sin is okay, you don't really love those people. You are manipulating them and you're using them and that's a sin. So when Peter dealt with <clears throat> the church having problems, he didn't start with the scoffers that we'll talk about next time from without. He started right within, from people within the church that get off. And they get off doctrinally, and they get off with their motivations, and they get into sin. It's amazing how many ministers have had their ministries ruined because they're alcoholics. Because that whole debate over whether that's okay or not that seemed, in many quarters, that seemed to go to the side of, well, it doesn't really matter. But it matters when, I'm thinking of one minister now, a church of thousands, but he had to re resign his church because it was apparent, and finally he admitted, he was an alcoholic. How many churches, ministers have uh, gotten into sexual sin? Some not only with just another woman in the church but sometimes with kids how many times do you see on the news that you see some not just a youth pastor but some pastor some older guy and he's caught with uh, all this child porn on the computer and all that kind of stuff how does that happen well I don't have all the answers but I can tell you this when you're in a situation where you don't make room for the Holy Ghost and you're not reading the Bible in its entirety and you don't have the attitude towards sin that God has, you'll get in trouble. And there's just a few basic human urges that all humans have and the devil will work overtime to take advantage of that. So we've got to stay strong in the Lord. We've got to stay connected. Amen? Every believer needs to be in a word-based, spirit-filled church where they can worship God in spirit and truth, where they will hear the truth, where they have an opportunity and a responsibility to serve and to give and to make God's vision come to pass. We need that. We've always needed it. For 2,000 years, the church has been a body, the body of Christ in the earth. We are not lone rangers picking and choosing at some spiritual smorgasbord what we like or don't like and when we will or won't do the right thing. We are not our own. We belong to the Lord Jesus. We've been bought with a price. And we, des we, we God deserves and God, God, uh, 
I, well, deserves the best word I can think of. God deserves that we would live for Him. He died for us. This isn't a game. We like to shout, we like to rejoice, we like to run and dance, and we like to joke and, you know, clean jokes, have a good time. But this is so serious. Amen. A lot more to say, but that's why there's next week. And if Jesus comes before next week, I'm sure he's got a better message for you than I do. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you for the word. I pray that the seed of the word finds a good place to grow. That that which has been heard today will not be rejected out of hand just because it's not the most pleasant thing to hear or the usual fare for church, but that we will bring the word before you, we'll study for ourselves, not accepting my word or the word of a man, but sorting through to see what is God's word to me and then live by that word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.